This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. So this morning, it's going to be the big picture of Bible prophecy. I'm going to try to give you a panoramic view. It would be almost considered to be Bible prophecy 101, elementary things that you will need to know in order to really stay focused on the next eight sermons that will follow. I want you to notice with me now, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 1 and the first three verses. In Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. This morning, I, I want to reemphasize something in this series. I want this to be more of a teaching series than a preaching series. You're going to get a lot of preaching. But I want to take my time as much as time will it allow me. My prayer is that I will teach you that you would grasp these biblical truths, that you would allow your spirit to be like a sponge and ask the Holy Spirit just to fill you and to allow you to just soak it up. There are going to be some interesting things that we talk about and some things you might say, well, you know, I'm not really interested in that and I want to address those type of sentiments as well. So I want you to keep in mind today that this is going to be more of a teaching journey than that of preaching. I want you to get it as much as possible. One of the things, and I would emphasize one of the key things to understand, when you start to study Bible prophecy is that you have to have a good insight on the big picture. You've got to see, see all of it. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Because if you don't look at the big picture, limiting ourselves to just bits and pieces only enhances the complexity of what is already a complicated subject. So we have to look at the big picture. And when you have the big picture, I mean, when, you, when you're able to see it from start to finish, then... Not, not in the study, but when you have the panoramic view, when you have the big picture, then you can take small pieces from it here and there and focus your study more so on those more closely. For example, it's like putting a puzzle together with the cover of the puzzle box in front of you. When you do that, those of you that work puzzles, a thousand piece puzzles, those of you that do stuff like that, you set that cover of the puzzle in front of you. You know what it's supposed to look like. And it's 
Very helpful when you begin to take those small pieces and try to put it together. You can see what the big picture is supposed to look like. And when you work each piece of the puzzle, when you have the picture, the big picture in front of you, it begins to make sense. You, you see, you're able to see where these little pieces are supposed to go. And when you have the big picture and when it becomes clear to you, here's the important thing to remember about that. When you have the big picture, you cannot take pieces of the puzzle and make it fit in places that it does not belong. And, and that, that's one of the problems that I hear so much about today concerning this subject. People know a little bit about the rapture. They know a little bit about the Antichrist. They know a little bit about the judgment seat. They know little bits and pieces. And what they try to do is they try to put a puzzle together. They try to fit these little pieces in places that it doesn't go. So understanding the big picture of Bible prophecy, when you have a clear understanding of what the big picture is about, what it looks like, then you cannot take little bits and pieces and try to put them in places they don't go. You just know it doesn't fit. It doesn't go there. And this is one of the reasons why I give you this Bible prophecy time chart in the first Sunday of the series. And so you don't have to look at it today. It would not benefit you at all during this message. But keep it in your Bible and look at it and read it and reference to it uh, in the days ahead. Now, this is a simple step in understanding Bible prophecy. It's not trying to take bits and pieces and put them where we want them. You get the big picture, and then you can put the puzzle together. I want you to know a few of the man-made problems concerning Bible prophecy, especially this text about the Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming. If you would, let's read again Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent John, or he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now here's, I'm going to show you two man-made problems out of this one text right here. And if you would, I believe it would help you to underline those last words in verse number three, the time is at hand. I want to discuss that just for a moment. Underline those words, the time is at hand. This is one of the problems in this particular text concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. From that sentence or from that phrase of Scripture, countless people have tried to predict the date that Jesus Christ was going to come. I will tell you this, that I have read multiple stories about those accounts. Back in 1988, there was a specific author who wrote a book entitled 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. And so, I mean, they spent lots of money on it. And hey, 
Lots of people bought it. I hope you were not one of them. 88 reasons. I didn't buy it. Somebody gave it to me. (laughs) Then it moved on in the middle part of the 80s. And uh, there was a, a preacher out of Texas called James McCutcheon. And he, he, had, he had the plan all down. And why Jesus was going to return when he did, uh, when, back in uh, the mid-80s, when he said that, he wrote a book, by the way. He did a video. And uh, he said the Lord was coming back in the mid-80s as well. I don't have time this morning to give you the countless people who have tried, because of this one verse, the time is at hand, to come up with some type of code. By the way, the Bible's not written in code. It was breathed by the Holy Ghost. You don't have to worry about anything being in a code. The Bible is not up for private interpretation. It is the breath of God. And so, let me just tell you this. Many people have taken this verse out of context and used those last four words that time is at hand to try to predict the day that Christ was going to come back and give you a scientific religious formula of why they believe that. There are two earth-shaking reasons why that's impossible. One of which, and I want you to turn to the scripture, is in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 36. And I'm going to show you what the word of God says. So the thing about predicting a day or time for Jesus to return is impossible. Now, this morning, let me tell you, we don't have part of the Word of God. We've got all of the Word of God. And I want you to understand that not just some of it is inspired, all of it is inspired. You have the breath of God in your hand. Now, look at this verse in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. These people that predict dates for Jesus to return and they write books must not have read two verses I'm going to give you this morning. In verse number 24, the Bible says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, how in the world do human beings come up with a religious formula to predict the day and the hour, the time, for Christ to come back when it's clearly plain in the Word? No one knows. It's impossible. The second of which I want you to see in Matthew chapter 25, you're there. Look at verse number 13. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 13, the Bible says this. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So one of the problems with this passage of Scripture that I've just given you, the time is at hand, one of the man-made problems is that men have tried to predict the date of Christ's return. It's impossible. The Bible says no one knows. The second problem in the same text is that these four words, people have not only tried to predict the day that he was coming, the Lord was coming, but with those same words, they tried to debate the fact whether or not he indeed is coming again. The time is at hand. Now, I want you to go with me to 2 Peter quickly, if you will. I'm giving you a lot of scriptures. They will place them on the screen. 
But if you're taking notes, please write fast. I have to move fast. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Verse 4, And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, from those words back in Revelation, the time is at hand. There are people in our society even today. I've heard them from years of yesterday. I know of them today. And they say, the time is at hand. You preachers talk about the Lord Jesus coming back again. Where is he? I know that you have a verse. The time is at hand. But where is he? It seems like that if the time was at hand when that Bible was written, Certainly the Lord Jesus should have come back by now. There are pastors and preachers and theologians in this country today that sit down in theological discussions debating whether or not Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to return or not. Well, let me tell you this. Those are two man-made problems that leap off the pages of that one passage of Scripture. So I will tell you this, friend. Listen carefully. The Bible prophecy concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ can be distorted and it can be taken out of context if, in fact, we do not devote diligent study to the Word of God. But I will tell you this, in spite of the study that it takes and because of its constant demand to rehearse it and because of the coming judgment and the plagues that this book talks about. I love to study Bible prophecy. I love to read and study the book of Revelation because this book declares the ultimate victory of God in his dealings with man, his dealings with the earth, and his dealings with the devil and his fallen angels. I love to study this book. Now, another piece of the puzzle that you have to know about Revelation is this, and I want you to think with me now. Stay with me is that the devil hates this book. In fact, the devil hates two books particularly in the Bible. He doesn't like any of it. He doesn't love any of it. But there are two books of the Bible that the devil vehemently despises. He's tormented by these two books. And that is the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. Now, let me say this here. The more you know about the devil... It's very easy to know why the devil hates those two books. And you might say, well, preacher, I just don't care to hear about the devil. I'm really not interested in knowing anything about him. Well, let me tell you something. You better understand him. You better know him because he's the greatest enemy that we have on this planet. I will tell you the Bible says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And, and listen, we better know something about him. The devil hates Genesis and he hates Revelation. He hates Genesis because in Genesis, his doom, his destiny is pronounced. In fact, if they can get this passage on the screen quickly, I don't know if you can turn there. Stay with me now. Don't lose me. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, by the way, it's the first prophecy of the scripture concerning the coming of the Messiah. In Genesis 3, 15, 
Here's what the word says. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, many have asked me, Pastor, how does that predict the coming of the Christ, the Messiah? This verse, if you look at it carefully, it means that God would allow Eve to bear children. And through the process of time, through those children, heaven children and heaven children, Mary would be born. You know that God had selected the Virgin Mary to be the vehicle to bring in the birth of the baby Christ child. Her seed, Mary, would ultimately crush the head of Satan. Look at it carefully. And although he would strike like a heel, I'm telling you now, the devil would come against, he would strike uh, the heel of Christ like a snake right before being defeated. Satan, by the way, did bruise the head of our Lord Jesus with the temporary venom that he unleashed on the cross. However, when Jesus rose from the grave, he crushed the head of Satan. Now, the devil hates the book of Genesis because the book of Genesis reveals, it announces Satan's doom. He hates the book of Revelation because it is in that book he realized that his doom, his destiny is carried out. Now, as you contrast the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, and I want you to stay with me, you can see the wisdom of God from the very beginning to the very end. And here are some things that are incredibly interesting about these two books. And if you listen very carefully, it'll leave you in awe when you stop and think about it. In the book of Genesis, you see the creation of the first heaven and the first earth. In the book of Revelation, you see the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. In Genesis, you see the first Adam reigning over the earth. In Revelation, you see the second Adam, Jesus Christ, reigning over eternity. In the book of Genesis, you see the night and the seas were created. But in the book of Revelation, you see that there is no more night. You see there is no more sea. In the book of Genesis, the first bride, Eve, was brought to Adam. But in the book of Revelation, the church, the bride of Christ, is presented to the second Adam, Jesus Christ, without spot or wrinkle. In the book of Genesis, you see the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. In the book of Revelation, you see the tree of life in the New Jerusalem. In the book of Genesis, you see sin as it crawls into the slimy pages of history. We see how sin brings death and with a curse. But in Revelation, we see a time where there is no more death and no more curse at all. In Genesis, we see where Satan appears for the first time. But in Revelation, we see him disappearing for the last time. Somebody say amen. In the book of Genesis, we see how Satan utters his first lie. But in the book of Revelation, we see a city where no lie can enter in. Now, understanding these things today, you can understand the importance of seeing the big picture. You've got to see it all and it will become a little bit more clearer to you. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to take as much time as I possibly can with this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now look at the first part of this verse very carefully. The revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the most important things that you need to know about Bible prophecy is that Jesus Christ is the central theme throughout the entire Bible. You need to remember that. 
he is the central theme throughout Bible prophecy. A lot of people think that when we talk about Bible prophecy, we're just talking about the Antichrist and the Battle of Armageddon. In fact, listen carefully. It's important to know that the entire book of the Revelation does not primarily deal with the Antichrist, but it deals with the Christ. And I will tell you this, it would do us a a whole lot of good not to be spending time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, trying to look for his coming, but look for the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. He's on the way. Now listen to this. Here in the last book of the Bible, Jesus Christ is seen like he has never been seen before. And I want you to think about that. You say, what do you mean, preacher? When you study the book of the Revelation, you will see Jesus like you have never seen him before. When you look at this in the scriptures, let me remind you of something. When Jesus came the first time, he walked the sandy shores of Galilee. But when he comes the second time, he will be walking on a blazing shore of glory. The first time he came to a crucifixion, the second time he comes to a coronation, the first time he came to a tree, the second time he comes to a throne, the first time he stood before Pilate, the second time Pilate will stand before him, the first time he came and stood in shame. The second time he comes, he will come and stand in splendor. The first time he came, he wore a crown of thorn. The second time he comes, he will be wearing a royal crown of diadems. The first time he came, he came to redeem us. The second time, he will come to reign over us. The first time he came as a servant. The second time, he will come as the sovereign son of glory. So I will tell you this, the most important thing about Bible prophecy that you need to know is that the central person weaving in and out of the scriptures is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here is something else interesting. If you look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, again, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we've just established that, which God gave unto him. Now, notice this. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now, here we find the answer to Bible prophecy. I'm trying to give you the big picture. Look at it carefully. What is the purpose of it? What is the purpose of Bible prophecy? Is it to scare us? Is it to worry us? Is it to discourage us? The purpose of Bible prophecy is found right in the middle of that scripture, and that is to show us things which must shortly come to pass. And that ought to be an encouragement because when you take time to read the back of the book, you find out, friend, we win. Amen? We win. A lot of preachers today won't even study it, much less preach it anymore, because they say it's not a warm and fuzzy topic to tickle people's ears. Well, listen, you don't get curb service here, friend. I'll tell you that right now. We're not giving you something to make you warm and fuzzy and comfortable. In fact, listen, it's my, it's my responsibility as a gospel preacher to share with you the entire counsel of God's word. I mean, all of it. I preach all of it. And the maps too. I believe in those. Listen now, if someone said to me they don't want their pastor preaching it, you better check that out. I had someone tell me that. I told them a couple of years ago we were in the Bible prophecy series. And they said, oh, we don't preach it. We don't want our preacher preaching that stuff in our church. And they gave me the reasons why. It's too scary, too hard to understand. But I will tell you this, a God-called preacher would not omit anything out of this Bible. I believe no pastor or preacher will ever be spiritual enough, holy enough to omit one word of God's precious book. 
The Bible makes it clear in this passage that the purpose of Bible prophecy is to show God's people a glimpse of the future. It talks about things to come. And I want you to understand that. So learn some things this morning. The first thing about Bible prophecy, the big picture, you have to understand that Jesus Christ is the central theme through all of it. Secondly, we need to know the purpose of it. And the purpose of it is to show us things to come. The third thing we need to know about Bible prophecy is the assurance of it, the guarantee of it. And I want you to think about this. This world today is on a head-on collision course with Bible prophecy that cannot be changed. If you look in Revelation 1, verse 1 again, you'll find this word, which, uh, which things must come to pass. You need to underline that word must, maybe even put parentheses around it. Look at that word. It's the same word Jesus used when he said this, ye must be born again. Salvation, listen now, listen very carefully. It doesn't matter how much religion somebody has. It doesn't matter what type of spiritual background a person has. Listen, there is not a person on this planet that will ever see an ounce of heaven without the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you this, friend, Jesus said you must be born again. And the Holy Spirit moved John to write in this passage these things which must come to pass. So, dear friend, I want you to understand that this book of Revelation is not a book of fairy tales. It's not exaggerated religious stories. It's not something that Steven Spielberg invented. It's not a book of fantasy. I'm telling you, the book of Revelation is among other books of the Bible that confirms that there is a God. Somebody say amen. And that he is the God of this book. Right now, I'm not going to elaborate on this. My time is completely gone. I've got halfway through this message. But listen carefully. Right now, somebody asked me not, not too long ago, where are we in Revelation? Right now, we're living between Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse number 7 and chapter 3, verse number 20. That's where we are right now. If you want to know where we are on God's prophetic timetable, we're right now, Revelation 3, 7, and between that verse and Revelation 3, 20. I'll talk about that in the message of the rapture. And so the book of Revelation gives us the assurance of prophecy. Everything, everything beyond chapter 3, verse 20 is things yet to come. And believe me, it will in those accorded times. Now, the fourth thing that I want you to see in this, in this one particular verse, not only are the things that are destined to happen, but I want you to look at it very clearly now, the nearness of these things happening, the nearness of it. In Revelation chapter 1 again, we're going to refer to this another time. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must, notice this now, look at it very carefully, shortly come to pass. I want you to underline that word shortly. Now, some simple things about God we should never forget. One is this. God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't do things like we think he should? And when he should and how he should. And have we ever said, caught ourselves saying, well, if I was God, wow, wouldn't this world be in a terrible fix if any of us were? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And then here's something very important for you to remember. Don't forget this. God does not compute time like we do. 
If you lose that, you'll lose much of what we're talking about. I want you to get this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. We were there just a moment ago. Go back to it quickly. Let me say that again. A couple of things that you really need never to forget about God. Simple things. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And number three, he does not compute time like we do. This verse of scripture establishes that. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, the Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day, look at it, is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So look at it very carefully. The Bible says that a thousand years to us is like a, like a day to God. And according to that mathematical figure that we have here in the scripture, Jesus died on the cross, according to God, a little over two days ago. But hey, what happened on the third day? Something miraculous, amen? He rose from the grave. Friends, let me tell you something. We're about 15 years now getting into the 15th year of the early part of the third day. And listen carefully. I really believe with all of my heart that something's close to happening. Something is getting close. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take any chances with this word shortly. Shortly. Look at it carefully. No sane person in this auditorium should interpret shortly as meaning not in my lifetime. None of us should interpret it as a thousand years from now. Listen, the time to get ready for the coming of the Messiah, the time to get ready of the Lord Jesus Christ, his return, is not somewhere way down the road. The time to get ready is not when you get sick and flat on your back and somebody's told you you got just a few months to live. The time to get ready is not when you're old and feeble, when you've sown your wild oats, not when you get all your ducks in a row, when you feel like there's nothing else left for you to do when you retire. Listen, the Bible says this, boast not thyself of tomorrow. We don't know what a day is going to bring forth. Listen, don't put it off. He's on the way back. Think about it. It must shortly come to pass. Get ready now. Now, another great truth about prophecy is this. You need to understand the prophecies and the precious promises that those prophecies contain. Let me ask you something. People will say, I don't believe in that Jesus is coming back stuff and the time is at hand and shortly must come to pass. I mean, when was that written? Back on the Isle of Patmos? How many years has that been? I just don't know if I believe this stuff. Well, listen, why... On earth would we believe one promise and not another? If it came out of the mouth of God, if it came out of the breath of the Holy Ghost, why? For example, the promise of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here's the promise. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, why would I believe that and not believe the one he made in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Why would I believe John 3:16 and not John 14? He said, if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. If you believe John 3:16, friend believe John chapter 14 as well it's all in the Bible it's the breath of God hallelujah Woo! amen the scripture is saying look at verse 2 
John writes, who bear record. John said, I was an eyewitness. I'm telling you the gospel truth. He said, I'm bearing record, testimony, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. John is saying, listen, I'm an eyewitness. I've got a firsthand account. Now, the comforting promise here is that we have something in our hands today that's called the word of God. I'm so thankful today. Listen carefully. You, you ought to treasure your Bible. What you have in your hand today is the word of God. It's not the word of Confucius. It's not the word of Charles Russell. It's not the word of Joseph Smith. I'm telling you, it's not the word of men. It is the word of God. Holy Ghost breeze sent down from the third heaven. I want you to notice this in verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth. We're talking about the word. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. And I look at it very carefully. There's a special blessing given to those who read and study prophecy. And I've already mentioned this, but let me say it one more time. Some people stay away from it because they say it's just too complicated to study. It's too scary. It doesn't apply for our day and time. All that deception, friend, is, is a lie of hell. That's, that's of the devil. John is pronouncing a blessing here on those who read this and study it. Now, let me ask you the question. I believe every person in here with a right mind would want to be a partaker of the blessings of the word. The blessing is not only from reading it, but according to the word, it's imparted when we heed it as well. It's like what the scripture says, be not only hearers of the word, but be ye doers as well. So when you study Bible prophecy, listen very carefully this morning. There's a prophetic doctrine and a practical duty that accompanies it. Now there's something else here. I'm getting close to the end. I want you to see this. In verse 3 again, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Let me rehearse this quickly for you. Our time is gone. This prophecy, as we're going to study it, is about Jesus Christ. He's the central theme. The purpose of it is to show us things which must shortly come to pass. We have an assurance of it that indeed it will be fulfilled. We have an admonishment, and that is it reminds us of the nearness of these things. In this big picture, we have comforting promises. But then there is a special emphasis on this prophecy, and that is this, that it's nothing to neglect. I believe one of the main reasons why people of the world don't read the Bible like they should. Why, why do people throw it in the floorboard of their car and they leave church on Sunday or throw it up in the back rear view mirror somewhere in the window area? Why, why, why do people do that? Sometimes I think we don't really take this serious, that it's, that it's real, it's God's breath. I don't know about you, I just got finished going through the Bible on January 31st. I've started it all over again. You can read about five or six chapters a day and do it in a year. But let me say this. The reason why a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in the Word, treasure the Word, study the Word, and I'm talking about the world at large, is because that the Bible is a book that talks about sin. The Bible is a book that talks about blood. Isn't it amazing? I've thought about this a hundred times or more, I guess. 
Hollywood can produce all of these unbelievable, ungodly, gothic type of chainsaw massacres and, and fill swimming pools up with blood and make a box office hit. But you let Mel Gibson come out with the passion of the Christ and everybody in the world wants to go insane about it. Too much blood, too gory, too horrible. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible is about blood. Thank God for the blood. Without the shedding of blood, the word says there is no remission for sin. Friend, let me tell you this. I'm not saved because of works I do. I'm not worktified. I am justified. I'm telling you this. If it had not been for the blood, None of us would have an ounce of hope to go to heaven. It's the blood of Jesus. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.